Are you ready to start living richer? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Live Richer podcast, hosted by Jamie Catmull, a podcast created for people to challenge and manage their ideas of wealth, culture, and money across the world, bringing you the best personal finance advice to make more, save more, and live richer. Now, here's your host, Jamie Catmull. Hi, this is Jamie, and you're about to hear part two of an insightful conversation that we had with Jespreet Singh. Enjoy, and don't forget to catch up on the first half. You know, while you were talking, I was curious, like for somebody who's just starting, right? I'm a person, say I was a person, I was living paycheck to paycheck. I'm finally just getting out of debt. Um, Where should I invest first? I mean, what are the first steps? Uh, trying to get yourself in a situation where you can have that minority mindset? I mean, what is that first step one and two look like? So the first thing you have to do is you got to get financially educated. Uh, you know, when I started, YouTube wasn't as popular as it is today. You don't have all the resources that you do. Uh, so just start watching videos. I mean, that is the easiest thing that you can do is to start watching YouTube videos, then read a book and just start learning. Because what you're going to realize is, Maybe you hate cryptocurrency. Maybe you hate gold. Maybe you hate real estate. Maybe you hate stocks. I mean, certain things are going to be more appealing to you than others. And you just got to start learning. And then as you start learning, so that's the first step is to start getting financially educated. Once you start learning, then you got to start doing. And you have to be okay, especially when you're starting off with the idea of losing money, because a lot of people are going to hold themselves back because they're gonna wanna make the perfect investment. I'm investing my first $1,000. I don't wanna lose it. Sure, you know nobody wants to lose money, but if you don't take any action, the cost of that is way more than you investing $1,000 and losing all of it, because you're gonna, learn, you're gonna learn something when you lose that money. You're gonna learn how to analyze your investment a little bit better. And so you have to kind of go in with the mindset that, okay, I will probably lose. And if you can wrap your head around that, it'll be much easier for you to take risks. And you have to be willing to try. I mean, I learned way more from my failures than I did anything else. I have made videos talking about my worst real estate deal ever. You know, I was, I was young when I made the deal. I made every mistake possible. You can watch it on our YouTube channel. I mean, it just walks you through the entire nightmare that I went through. But that deal it was the only deal that I ever lost money on. And it set me up for so many bigger deals because I learned so many things in such a short period of time. You know, it's the same thing in the stock market. I've talked about all the dumb mistakes that I made, but you have to be willing to make those mistakes. Um, and then the next thing is if you're younger and you don't have a lot of responsibilities, this is your time to take risks because you are younger and you have time on your side. And so, you know, even if it's not investing into other asset classes, investing in yourself. Maybe you're starting a startup. Maybe you're starting your own business. Maybe you're starting a side hustle. You have to be willing to invest in yourself. And, you know, not everybody is meant to be an entrepreneur. You'll learn that about yourself very quickly, whether it's for you or it's not for you. But you have to be willing to take risks and take them sooner rather than later. That way you have time on your side to make things back up. What are some things that you think for the person that's maybe, in, let's say, in their 40s, our 50s, um, what should they do? They haven't done anything. They got their 401k. Um, we, we, now they're starting to get educated. They have some investments in stock from work. Now what should they do? 
Well, now it's a matter of kind of deciding what kind of lifestyle do you want to live. If you have, here's what's going on right now. The majority of Americans have no money invested at all. It's just over 50%. So right around half of Americans have no investments at all. No 401k, no IRA, no real estate, no stocks, no cryptocurrency, no physical gold, nothing. Now, you have the other half of America, which has some investments or a lot of investments. But out of this other half of America that's investing, the vast majority of them only have investments in the 401k. Now, the 401k was never intended to be your sole retirement plan. Even the founder of the 401k has come out and said that the 401k has gone awry because uh, people are thinking that this is their, their sole path to retirement, the sole path to financial freedom. But it's going to be a big wake-up call for a lot of people when they realize that the 401k is not enough and Social Security is not enough. So what you need to do is first understand that, okay, if you got a 401k, fine, but that's not enough. So now you need to start investing your money yourself. Maybe the stocks, maybe this real estate, whatever it is, start learning, and then you start doing. Now it's, okay, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I'm 40 years old. What do I do to get some more cash? Well, the first thing is you're going to have to change your lifestyle. Because as soon as you start to realize that there's opportunity and there's a change that you want to make, you got to change your lifestyle, which means sell the crap. The biggest liability for so many people, especially older people, is just their car. You're paying $600 a month to drive a nice BMW, then you have to pay for your insurance, then you have to pay for your expensive maintenance, and you have zero dollars going aside towards your investments, your priorities are in the wrong place. You have to get rid of the crap. Sell the car, drive something used, drive something in good condition, where you have no payments, and now take the $600 that you were paying towards your car payment and put it towards your investment every single month. Now all of a sudden, you're, you're, you flip the script. You're flipping what you're using your money for because before your money was going to make your car company and your banker rich. Now you're using your money to make yourself rich. And this is what the minority mindset is all about. Before you go out and spend all of your money making everybody else around you rich, you need to start taking care of yourself. Stop buying things that you cannot afford. If it's a liability, meaning it does not put any money in your pocket, you should not be financing it. Now you need to buy it with cash because that way you're not playing the payments game. The payments game is you're making money today to pay off all the dumb stuff that you bought yesterday and last week and last month and last year. So you need to get out of the payments game, stop buying all this crap, and use your money to buy assets, buy investments, things that will pay you. As you start to accumulate more of those investments, you're going to realize that, oh my God, I can live a life where my investments, my assets, pay for my lifestyle. This is what every single wealthy person does. They live off of their investments. They don't live off of their salary. You will never, I don't care how much money you make. I don't care if you're a doctor. You will never be able to live wealthy just off of your salary. It's impossible because eventually you're going to stop working. Maybe you're going to want to go on a vacation. Maybe you get sick. Maybe you get old. Well, there's going to be a point where you stop working. And as soon as you stop working, you stop getting paid. Then what? And so you have to understand that you should not be relying on your salary in order to survive. What you need to be doing is taking as much of your income from your job, as much of your salary as possible, and using this mm -hmm. to buy assets. And this is what wealthy people are doing. They're working hard to earn money, and then they take this earned money, and they're taking all of it. Wealthy people take 100% of this money, and they use this to buy assets, and then they live solely off their assets. Now, if you're working a job and you're 40 years old, you're not going to be able to take 100% of your income and do that. But you can start with 
And then as you start to do that, you start to create new income streams, and then you can try to up it a little bit more. And so it's slowly trying to increase how much of your earned income you're putting towards your assets, because that's how you build wealth. You're never going to become wealthy through a high income, and you're never going to become wealthy just by saving your money. The way you will become wealthy is by investing your money. And this is where people, you know, you have all these debates of it's stocks, it's real estate. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it really yeah, doesn't matter. Everybody says different. You got to just find what's right for you. I want to just ask you this one uh, with the cryptocurrency and a lot of people um, get nervous about that. When you say about um, putting it into one of those funds, how did you know which one to use? There are some shady ones. I've heard some bad things about people putting in their money a certain yeah. place and then they lost it. I mean, how can a person investigate that and just kind of how did you investigate it to know which ones to put your money into? So with cryptocurrency, there's a lot of crap out there. And you have a lot of speculation, you have a lot of greed, and that also fuels a lot of crap. So if you're just entering that space and you want to be invested in crypto, the easiest thing to do is just by starting to buy the big names, Bitcoin, maybe a little bit of Ethereum. And as soon as you do that, you're going to start learning. You're going to start learning about the other opportunities that are there. Because what you don't want to do is just start throwing the money into all the altcoins, all these these coins that people have not heard of because you're hoping that this, uh, you know, whatever crap coin is going to 10x or 20x or 100x because, you know, you've seen other people get rich very quickly because of that. I'm not in the business of gambling. I don't like gambling. I don't like speculating in that sense. So, you know, the way you do that is it, there's a, a huge rabbit hole in cryptocurrency. Once you start learning, yep. there's like, there's just so much out there. But just start with... The Bitcoin, maybe some Ethereum, and you'll start to realize that they have different uses. Now, is there risk? Absolutely. And this is what I always try to r remind people is if you look just back in history, before the 2000-2001.com crash, everybody thought that the internet companies would never go down, that, you know, it, it was, this was the future. And it was also kind of fueled then by the Fed because you had um, the Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan coming out and saying that there's no bubble, there's no dot-com bubble, nothing to worry about. Well, in 2000 to 2002, the NASDAQ lost 80% of its value. Now, this was actually good for the internet because it these crashes are a way to delete the crap. It's a refresh. It removes all the bad assets, it removes all the bad money, people trying to get rich. And so... You know, people didn't realize, like, oh, my God, I, you can still lose even though everybody was putting their money into it. Now, the Internet didn't die. The Internet didn't go away. It's thriving today. But you saw the crap leave. Before the 2008 crash, it was the same thing. You had everybody buying real estate thinking that it would never go down. Everyone thought that real estate was an investment, that real estate was an asset, that home prices can never go down. And again, this was fueled by... Uh, the Fed chairman, Ben Bernanke at the time, who said that there is no housing bubble, there's no housing market crash coming, <laughs> nothing to worry about. But then what happened? The real estate market fell by 80 to 95% in different pockets around the country. So, you know, you look at cryptocurrency, there is a lot of future with cryptocurrency. Do I believe that, you know, blockchain and, and crypto is going to be used in the future? Sure. Could I be wrong? Sure. But I really think that there's a lot of technology and a lot of uses there. But that does that mean it's going to go straight up? No. You know, we could see a 2001-style dot-com crash in the cryptocurrency market. 
Is it guaranteed? No, but I, I have no way of knowing. I, can, I have no way of predicting the future. Is there a lot of debt, a lot of speculation, a lot of greed in the crypto market? Absolutely. You have people that are coming in without knowing what they're doing, just trying to buy random coins, thinking that I'm going to be able to 10x my money in two months. Uh, so that always gets kind of scary. But does that mean that it's never going to be around in the future? No, I, th I think that there's a lot of future applications for it. And so what do you do? Again, you got to be smart. You got to do your research. Start with the basics and start to learn. I mean, yes, you, people get rich gambling, but you have more people to lose than get rich. Yeah, I, I mean, I heard that some people were taking out credit cards at one point to buy crypto. And I was like, that's crazy to me. And even to go buy stock and to get in the game. So, I mean, a lot of people are, have leveraged themselves hoping to get rich quick. You know, you, you got to, again, it was anything. If you're investing your money, you should not be investing more than you're willing to lose. You know, there's a lot of money to be made in a bubble. I mean, you look at, I mean, just, if we just look at the facts, a lot of people got rich before the 2008 crash, if you were able to get out. A lot of people got rich before the dot-com crash, if you were able to get out. Now, again, it's, it's impossible to time the market. Every asset class goes through booms and busts. It's a fact. You, there's times where the market goes up, there are times where the market goes down, but you never know exactly when it's going to go down. And uh, you have the highest growth of retail traders, investors, people who are investing for the first time in the market now than ever before. And they came in in 2020 when the stock market crashed. Now, this is great that you have a whole flood of people coming in, uh, investing their money, interested in financial education for the first time. But a lot of people have never seen a downturn. And this is where, again, you just got to be smart. Don't get greedy. Don't get greedy. Because when you get greedy, what do you do? You see your friends getting rich, buying a dumb stock, and you say, oh, my God, I want to get rich too. So then you start pouring your money in. And then you say, oh, man, I invested five grand. But if I invested 10 grand, I could make even more. Oh, my brokerage allows me to invest with margin? Okay, let me now take out debt. Let me take out margin. Let me take out credit card debt. Let me refinance my home and to invest my money to things that I don't understand just because I see everybody else getting rich. When, when you have this greed fueled with easy access to money and now we have cheap money, that's how bubbles get formed. And this is where, again, you just got to be smart and you got to understand because more millionaires are made during crashes and recessions than any other time because this is when assets go on sale. They're on discount. It's like Black Friday for investors. <laughs> and so, you know, you just got to be smart. And the way you do that is by not getting greedy, understanding the financials, and understanding that investing is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You're investing for the long term. You're not investing for six months if you're really talking about being an investor. Yeah, I think that's really good advice and insight. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is going out right now. Um. I totally agree with you on that one. And I wanted to ask you, I ask all my guests, what does live richer mean to you? I mean, you've said a lot about things you've done in your own life and you give examples of ways you've made money in your life. But what does the term live richer mean to you, not only in a monetary mindset, but in a personal? Sure. Uh, that's a great question because our motto at Minority Mindset, if you go to our website, theminoritymindset.com, you'll see it say right there, where money minds rethink rich. Our whole brand is about rethinking the idea of what does it mean to be rich. And so for me, when I talk about that, 
Rich means being able to live free. Free not just from stressing about money because now you have assets covering your expenses, but free in the sense of you can do what you love. You can do what you care about. You can do what matters to you most. And the reason why so many people can't do that is because they're like, I need to go to work to get my paycheck so I can get paid. You get stuck in this cycle of I cannot break out. And so it's that freedom of being able to live your life the way you want on your own terms. And, you know, it's funny that the pandemic was a big eye-opener for so many people. I mean, it was horrible that people lost their lives, but it brought a lot of clarity about a lot of new ideas to people. Now people have the ability to choose a job, not just by their paycheck, but by the ability to pick their lifestyle so I can work from home. And so people are starting to realize what's important to them. People are starting to realize that, hey, I don't need to live miserably. I can live happy. I can live anywhere I want. I can do other things in my life. And why are we so scared to take the risks and do the things that we want to, you know, to, to be more creative? Well, because we're always told that it's wrong. We're told that it's wrong to make a mistake. We're told that it's wrong to fail. But that's not true. It is good to make mistakes. It's good to try new things. It's good to be yourself. There's a lot of boring. There's a lot of vanilla in the world. We don't need more vanilla. We need more you. We need more uniqueness. That's what the Minority Mindset is all about. And sounds like by you being you and doing all the things you said, <clears throat> a person can live a richer life. And yeah, and have I, that I can even add to want. that. Like, uh, and if you like, we here at the Minority Mindset really try to emphasize that. And the way that we do that is with our team, if you come and work with us, one of the first questions that we ask you is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how weird are you? And every time we ask that, people get thrown off because they're like, oh, do I want to be weird or no? Because you know we're always told not to be weird, just fit in. And if you come in and say, a 2, I'm not weird. You're not meant to work with us because we, we want people who are okay being themselves. We want people with weird personalities because I'm weird. I'm a, I know I'm weird and I want to be able to express that. And, and so like with YouTube, you know, I make my videos. I don't make videos to get you to like me. If you don't like me, you can watch a different video. You know, it, it's just, it's me being me. And I talk about the things that are important to me. I, everything that I say comes from my heart. Everything that I say comes with passion because these are things that I have lived through, that I've seen, and that are important to me. You might not like what I have to say, fine, but I'm gonna tell you, you, you know that everything that I say is coming from my heart. And so that's why you have to be willing to be you, be willing to be weird because then you can be a lot more authentic too. That's awesome. And I just have to ask, so what do your parents think of what you're doing now? You're not the doctor. <laughs> you you went to law school. Um, you don't practice law. I'm guessing, did you ever practice law? Um, I wanted to ask that question. And um, did anyone else in your family get into real estate? Because you've done real estate and you've done well. Um, have you helped anyone in your family when it comes to educating them? I guess asked you a couple questions there. So my parents love it now. That's a great, it's funny. It's made a full circle. And that transition came before Minority Mindset because, uh, you know, I was doing everything in secret. And, you know, they, didn't, they knew I was working on some other stuff, but they didn't really understand. And then one day, uh, my business was featured in the news. And my parents got a call from one of their friends. And they said, 
hi, oh, I just saw Jaspreet on the news. My parents didn't know what was going on. So they're like, oh my God, what did he do now? What did our dumb son do now? <laughs> yeah. And they were like, no, no, no. His business is doing really well. He's getting all these sales. They're getting all this press. And so then they were like, oh, really? So then it was like, as soon as that happened, things switched because they could start to see the success. And now they love it. I mean, they absolutely love it. They're, they're some of my biggest supporters. They love everything that I do. And they're like, you know, they're very, very, very happy. And, you know, you talk about, am I educating anyone? You know, this, this is like what we talk about all the time. And, and I've gotten pretty much everyone involved in real estate investing, everyone that I can. And it's, it's just a matter of like, you have to be willing to open your mind, right? Like I said before, the minority mindset all starts with your mind, your mindset. If you have a broke mindset, if you have a scarcity mindset, if you have a kind of a small mindset, you're never going to be able to think bigger. And so it was that kind of initial, we need to hammer away this old mindset and understand that there's different opportunities in the world. Once you start to open up your mindset, it's the education. Okay, so what do we do? And then it's a matter of just taking action. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you got to open up your mindset, learn, and then do. And yeah, so now we're, you know, I'm trying to get everyone involved. I've, I have my family working with me in minority mindset. I've had kind of trying to get everyone involved and it's yeah. funny how things have come out in full I, 360. Yeah, I remember at the conference when I was talking to you, I think one of your employees said he was pretty excited that he had now got his first rental property going. I don't know if it was a duplex or what it was. Yeah, yes, but, yes. So he was pretty stoked about that. that his, I think, I don't know if he was living on one side and they're paying his mortgage for him or whatever it was, but he was pretty excited. And I was like, you know, they're just not um, <clears throat> talking it. They're actually doing the things that they say. And that's pretty awesome. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, we're always talking about the stuff. We go out to lunch, we're talking business, we're talking investment ideas. And everyone in the office is now like, you know, it, it, it's not just, we all have this culture where we all understand, you know, what is financial education? And how do you do it? And you're exactly right. Even with our own team our own the money nerds have minority mindset they're taking action on what <laughs> yeah. they do so we all it's not just a matter of we talking about it every single person is doing it and it was interesting that i saw they're not just sitting there frozen because of inflation you know a lot of people are afraid to do anything you know right now they're like kind of scared and when i saw your employees are out there and now you said you're even out there still um i guess that's saying that you just have to evaluate the deal i just if you could maybe get give like a real simple answer on how should someone if they right now are like, hey, I want to start investing in real estate. I know that mortgage rates are low, but I mean, is it still safe? Sure. So I mean, again, with anything else, what, what is inflation doing? Well, inflation is making things more expensive. And so everyone is worried about a potential market crash. But there's there's two things that can happen because in the past, 2008, 2001, even 2020, anytime a crash happened, if you had access to cash, well, now you could come in and buy assets at a discounted price because the prices of everything go down, assets go down. Now, the concern with inflation is different because sure, if real estate prices crash, stock prices crash, and you have cash, now you can come in and buy. The reason why people are looking at inflationary hedges is a little bit different. Because what happens if instead of an economic slowdown, we see a dollar slowdown? Because what is our dollars? Our dollars are supposed to be a representation of value, a store of value, but they're not backed by gold, silver, or anything tangible. Our dollars are backed by a promise by the United States government that our dollars have value. So the government says, 
go spend with dollars, transact with dollars, and because they say that, I can go out and spend my $100, and, and people will, will look at this $100 and, and say that it has value, even though it only costs about $0.12 cents to print a $100 bill. So what happens now if we start to print more money, we start to devalue our currency, and then people start to lose trust in the dollar. They start to lose faith in the dollar because it's not just Americans that transact with dollars. You have people around the world, countries around the world that are holding on to trillions of dollars, right? We have countries around the world, Japan, China, that, that own US dollars. And so if people or, or countries start to lose faith in the dollar and they start to dump the dollar because we've printed so much of it, well, then you would see the value of the dollar go down. And this is what we've seen happen in the past. I mean, anytime you devalue your currency, people get worried and eventually it leads to the currency going down. I mean, go as far back as the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire used to run on silver. It was a silver-based economy. Then the government wanted to grow and they wanted to invest in infrastructure. So they started paying employees not in silver coins, but in silver mixed with other cheaper metals. They were debasing their silver. And... In the short term, it caused a boom in the economy. But then after a while, people started to realize that these silver mixed coins weren't as valuable as the silver coins. So then they demanded more money, more currency. And this went on and it was one of the leading factors causing to the collapse of the Roman Empire. You can look at the Weimar Republic, modern day Germany, after you know the World War, when, when they were printing money uh, to cover their expenses and they printed too much money and then when that happened the value of their currency ultimately collapsed and you know you would go to buy a loaf of bread with a wheelbarrow full of cash and the store owner would say take the cash leave the wheelbarrow because the value of their currency yeah, was nothing you can look at venezuela venezuela was touted as you know, a government that was really taking care of their citizens. They were printing so much money. They had good investments. They were printing so much money to, to give, give, give to their country, even though they weren't generating enough money. They weren't generating enough value. And eventually it led to a collapse. The, the, the value of their currency collapsed. And then you saw the entire country kind of go down with it. And so right now, you know, we, we have an advantage because the United States is the world's strongest military is the world's strongest government is the world's strongest economy and the dollar is the world's reserve currency so we have a lot of advantages in that sense but what happens if the dollar is ever questioned as the world reserve currency now what would cause that well if you print a lot of money and people start to lose faith of the dollar well then that could cause the value of the dollar to go down and we've been printing a lot and that can be okay. I mean, it's never, it always causes inflation. It always causes the devalue of the dollar. But as long as the economy keeps growing and keeps up, then it's okay. But, you know, it, it's, everything has a lifespan. Every company has a lifespan. I mean, just look back at Sears. A couple of decades ago, Sears was the biggest powerhouse retailer in the world. Nobody would have ever thought that Sears is going to go under because they were so massive. They were so powerful. I mean, they controlled retail. And now you go to Sears as a ghost, ghost town because nobody goes there. I mean, it's gone. Even Jeff Bezos has come out and said that Amazon is eventually one day going to go bankrupt. It's going to go under. When? He doesn't know. But the lifespan of companies has really shortened because you have so much more innovation. And so just like that, each civilization, every country has its own lifespan. 
Um, how much more do we have? I don't know. I mean, I mean, there's no way yeah. to predict that. But that's that's the worry. It's what happens if the value of the dollar goes down. So that's where you have the inflationary hedges. So you know, I don't think that you know hyperinflation is around the corner. I don't think that's around the corner. I think we still you know a very strong economy country. Do we have risks? Absolutely. Could we see the value of the dollar go down? Absolutely. And so now, kind of, what does this all mean? I know I'm kind of just rambling. <laughs> If you see a market crash, if you have cash, now you can come in and buy at a discount. But what if you see a dollar crash? Well, then it would be kind of like a reverse crash because if the value of the dollar goes down, that means you're going to need way more dollars to go out and buy assets like real estate or stocks. And so kind of which way do you want to play? Because if you see a dollar crash and you own something like gold, maybe Bitcoin, then now you would be the person that now has the asset, the inflationary hedge, which you can then liquidate. You can sell your gold to go out and buy real estate or stocks. Uh, and so, you know, this is where you have to understand that there's there's a couple of different ways that you can go. You know, I, you, again, I don't know what's going to happen, so I buy both. And the way that I analyze a real estate deal, to go back to your core question, is you take the rental income today, and then you subtract the expenses, taxes, insurance, maintenance, management and vacancy and that will give you your net income you always want to make sure you factor in a vacancy cost because no property can 100 percent of the time be occupied there's going to be a time where a tenant leaves and some time before the new tenant comes in so you want to factor in these costs because most pro formas that you get are not going to show you that that gives you net income and then if you have debt on the property you can subtract your mortgage your your loan payment from there and that will give you your profit and so you're going to take your profit or your net income and you're going to divide that by the amount of cash that you put in and that's going to be a return. So when I invest in real estate, I'm looking for a minimum 7% return. Uh, yeah. So for every dollar that I invest, I want to see 7 cents in positive cash flow. And again, you know, I'm not investing in real estate to see appreciation. Do I, if I see appreciation, that's great. But my goal is not appreciation. I don't buy properties with the goal of what is this going to be worth next year or in five years. I don't care. All I want to know is how much do I have to invest today and how much is this going to pay me every single month, year after year after year. And the way that I do that is now I look for areas with growing populations, growing businesses. So, you know, it's very easy. Do a Google search. Look at the city. Look at the neighborhood. See is the population going up and down. And then talk to the city hall. See what businesses are coming in. If you see that it's a newer you know, kind of an area where you're seeing small businesses come into, you can see opportunity. If you see there's a Whole Foods opening up, more opportunity. If there's a Walmart opening up, opportunity. If you see businesses shutting down, well, that's more risk. So I want to go into the places where I see new businesses opening, not where I see businesses leaving, because that means there's more demand, more money, and more people coming into this area. Great advice on that. And great insight when it comes to inflation and what happened in the past and what could possibly happen here, but also giving us hope that it's not going to and there are things that we can do to combat those things and to have that security that we're needing. I'm so happy that you're here, Jesper. You taught me a lot and gave me a lot of insight. And you're making me think I need to sell the car I just bought. <laughs> you made me feel guilty. I never sell bought. It. No, listen, I never bought like a nice car and I just bought one. And now I feel super, super bad about it. I honestly <laughs> never have. I always just drive this the car to the ground type person. And my husband got all in my head and said, you need to get a nicer car. And now I'm like, oh, we're getting rid of it. I even said I wanted to get rid of it after I bought it because I was like, oh, I don't need a payment. I never have a payment. 
And I think you're right. Like think where I could invest that money and what I could do with that every month instead of driving in my car, you know, because who really cares what car you drive? I I don't care. I don't, I'm not a person that really cares about it. And so, I mean, sure. I like those back massagers, you know, and those seats. Oh yeah. (laughs) Look, the way I say it is I don't care if you make a dumb purchase. I don't care if you're buying exact, you know, lavish, extravagant things, but you got to make sure you can afford it first. If you're sacrificing your future wealth, if you're sacrificing your wealth today to have the luxury today, it's not worth it. Buy what you can afford, that way you can have and afford all the luxury and all the extravagance without worrying right. about the price. That's right. But yeah, at the same time, I, you're really making me second guess that purchase. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for having me come, come, on, come on and help me even feel a little bit better about crypto as well. And I'm thinking maybe gold is calling my name. Um, so thank you. Thank you. And for everyone who wants to um, see more and learn more from Jess Breit, go to Minority Mindset on YouTube. He has some great videos there. And everybody just remember to live richer. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Before you go, we'd love for you to subscribe to our show to catch all of our updates. Also, we want to hear from you. What are your burning questions about money and how to live your best life? Reach us at liverecherpod at gobankingrates.com.